Hello to you and welcome back to the Institute of World Mission podcast. It's great to see you back. Today's interview will be the last one in the Honor and Shame series. Gabby Phillips was the lead interviewer and designer of the series and you got to know her very well. But today she will be on the other side of the mic. Gabby will be a quote-unquote guest in our show and I will get to interview her. Just to remind you, Gabriela serves as director of North American Division Adventist Muslim Relations Department. And I have to highlight that Gabby is personally involved in AMR ministry on a daily basis. Gabby will highlight for us today the gender differences in honor and shame cultures. Just before diving into our interview today, let me give you a couple reminders. Number one. In the show notes, you will find a link to a special page that hosts all episodes in this series in one place. So, if you ever want to revisit all episodes we did in the Honor Shame series or maybe share the whole series with someone, give a recommendation, you can. There's only one place for you to look for and the link, like I said, is in the show notes. Second, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. Simply find the subscribe button in your podcasting app. This way, you don't have to remember when the new episodes come out. The app will remind that to you. All right, now to today's interview. Welcome to the Institute of World Mission Weekly Podcast, a show for Adventist mission enthusiasts striving to live, serve, and witness cross-culturally. Visit us at iwm.adventist.org slash podcast to view this podcast's show notes, links, and previous episodes. Institute of World Mission is your partner in the mission field. Hello, Gabby. Welcome to the Institute of World Mission podcast. Thank you so much, Alex. It's an honor to be here. Now, today we switched roles. Usually you take interviews in the... And shame series, and this time I'm doing this. Why is that? Well, because we're going to be talking about gender, and it seems more appropriate that it's a woman who talks about gender. And we chose you to actually contribute for this episode, and I'm very happy about this. I'll be interviewing Thank you, you Thank today you. on the issues of gender in honor and shame societies. Yes, yes, indeed. Awesome. So let's jump right into our first question, and it is, what is the difference between honor, the value of honor as it is manifested in the West, and the value of honor as it is understood and manifested in the rest of the world, in the majority world cultures? That's a great question. So first, let's establish what do I mean by honor, because I'm going to be using this word a lot. Okay. What I mean by honor is a system of entitlement, of respect. And now behind that sense that tells me I am entitled to respect, there is some sort of honor code that helps me to understand who gets honor and how to achieve honor and also how to lose honor. So how is honor becomes visible in a person's reputation? And this is common for East, West, North, South. Now, back to your original question. I think there are basically three areas of difference between honor in the West and honor outside of the West. First of all, honor in the West gives priority to what I would say achieve honor. And I'm going to unpack this in a minute, meaning that you earn your honor. 
what in like Eastern cultures, for example, you get honor just because you were born to the right family. So that is ascribed honor. Also in the West, people gain honor by doing something which is extraordinary. Oh, we love people say, oh, I'm so out of the box, creative, something that is a very big, that reflects very good in that particular person is something individual. But in outside cultures, mostly community-based cultures, you get honored by doing something that reflects on the whole community. So when Mohammed Saleh, for example, scores a goal, it's Egypt that is winning. It's not Mohammed Saleh. <laughs> right. Or if he's doing playing in, the, in England, then it is the Middle East that has scored a goal, and this is our son. Now, if he does something wrong, then this is a different story. But anyway, it's more reflecting collectively than individually in that community. And finally, I would say that major difference that this is where we're going to be focusing today is that men and women in the West can earn honor pretty much in the same place. So as long as you achieve something, your gender doesn't matter. That's not the case in honor shame societies. Men and women earn honor in different ways. So let me unpack a little bit this to make sure Please that... Do. Uh, so what we heard are three differences, ascribed yeah. versus achieved, communal versus individual, and gender differentiated. So help yeah. us to understand those better. Right, right, right. So let's go with the ascribed honor. Ascribed honor is something you get because your family is rich and is powerful. And while achieve honor, as I said, is something that you earn with your efforts. So in the West, we talk about meritocracy, which means that your merits will get you a good job. And this is possible in an individualistic society. Actually, in the West, if you're born to a powerful family, it might play in a negative way against you. I don't know if you've been following the news lately, but yesterday there was a story about Prince Andrew in Britain. And, you know, he was born to the royal home. So obviously there is ascribed honor just by the virtue that he's the son of the Queen Elizabeth. But he became friends with the wrong person, Jeffrey Epstein. He was accused of sex exploitation, especially of minors. And apparently he brought one of those minors to Prince Andrew. So overnight he lost honor. His mother had requested that he has no more official representation. He was kicked out of Buckingham Palace and so forth. So overnight, he lost his honor. And sometimes people who in the West have ascribed honor, meaning that they come from powerful families, if they get a good job, people are not going to say, oh, well, he got a good job because he's really good. But they might say, well, he got a good job because he was born with a silver spoon. And so in the Eastern society, Ascribe honor tends to stay longer, stick longer than for us here in the West. So here we have uh, Prince Andrews that has been disgraced because, yeah, you got honor when you were born, but you have to earn it. You have to maintain your honor. Don't think that just because you are the son of the queen, that it doesn't matter what you do, that you will survive. I can't imagine any dynamic of this nature if the, he would have been the son of the Sheikh of Dubai. Now, did you see that the Sheikh of Dubai has a daughter who escaped to the West and brought big shame? This news I actually have heard and read all about yeah. that princess. So, yes, I didn't quite catch on what was happening with Prince Andrew. But that is an excellent example of the difference there. 
Right, right, right. So now the family is having to deal. So here you can see a little bit of a window how these things played out on the news and what are the things behind. So in summary, achieve honor fades more quickly. What ascribe honor remains more stable. And and how men and female are represented is different because the Sheikh of Dubai, his daughter was shamed publicly because it was a big disgrace that he left the house. But if that if he would have been a son like Andrew, it would have been a very different story. Right. So we have that these things played out in in different way for men and women, which basically is what we want to explore today. Now, the next thing you were talking about is the gender differentiation, and you are already touching on this. It's different from men than women. Yes. In the East, in majority world cultures, in honor-shame cultures, than it is in the West. And I think, you know, we kind of feel how different it is between the West and the East. So let's just be looking at the East. Okay. How is it different between men and women in the majority world cultures then? Good. So I don't know if you remember right after 9-11, there was all this big talk of Huntington and the clash of civilizations. And that people were actually collapsing or colliding over democracy and so forth. So it was a time where I decided that I want to research this topic very deeply. And I looked into different sources, but especially one that was fascinating was called World Value Survey. And my conclusion after reading the World Value Survey is that if there ever will be a clash of civilization, it's not going to be over political differences. It's going to be over gender role. Where East and West do not meet is over what is expected from women. And if you don't think, if you think I'm overstretching this, I think we had a bit of an, our own in-house test over the clash regarding women's ordination. You see, here we are one Adventist community. We have one faith. All of us have a very strong commitment to follow the Bible, and yet we are coming to the opposite ends of the conversation. So obviously there are some assumptions that shape how we understand the world that are very, very strong. And when we start understanding that, I think it helps us to cross the road and start engaging the, the people who we don't agree with in a different way. So yes, these codes change if you are a woman and a man. And last year I was having lunch with a Palestinian friend. And I think she used a very interesting metaphor that I think it would be helpful right now. She said that a woman is like a match, that when her honor is gone, she's useless. Now, what is she meaning by honor? It's basically her sexual purity. Because the way that women gain honor is by passively preserving the good name of the family by acting sexually appropriately. Well, I don't think my friend would have said the use a match example if this would have been applied to her son. Because the mm -hmm. ways that men gain honor is by being brave, being courageous, being generous, preserving cultural values, and also by having many sons. So men's honor is active because he can go out and gain and bring honor to the home. Woman's honor is passive because this is something that she has to guard. And even after she gets married, she still has to preserve the good name of the family by keeping herself pure. And not just the family, but especially her father's good name. And Excellent, then, Gab. Yes. Go ahead. 
Go ahead. Yeah, and that another thing, another way that she adds honor is having sons. Daughters don't bring that much honor, but sons specifically. Um, Very nice. So as you see, as our audience, we are speaking to Adventists, cross-cultural missionaries, cross-cultural workers in many, many different settings. And with this particular conversation, we will be talking more about majority world cultures, not so much Western cultures, but majority world cultures where honor and shame is high. And this is what you're already doing. I just wanted to support you in that and say, let's focus in this direction together. Now, again, in the West, you know, the differences between men and women are not as pronounced in terms right. of honor and shame, but they're very pronounced in the East. And yeah. you've already looked at a few differences. Now, could you talk to me about how an honorable woman looks like in an honor and shame society and why is the outward appearance so important? Yes, thank you. That's definitely a key question right now because if we are going to minister in a way that is honorable, we need to understand how the people understand honor, not how I think mm-hmm. honor should look like. So the honorable woman is the one that comes from a good family. She understands her place in society. She's obedient to the males who are in charge of her. First her father, then her brothers. The role of brothers is huge, Alex. So when a woman reads that Jesus is her older brother, she gets it in ways that I don't. And uh, later, obedient to her husband, she sees her role as primarily nurturing his family. She's a good cook because hospitality is so huge. So having the ability to cook well is very important. Her home is clean and always ready to receive the guest. And she's sexually dutiful towards her husband. And this, again, it's an area that it's not very visible because we don't go to people's bedrooms. But I need to explore this a little bit so that we are ministering in a meaningful way. I have had the chance over the years of meet women in rural areas, and there is no taboos like we have in the West. So women talk very openly about what's going on at a what we will call private or intimate level. And I remember very young in Azerbaijan that women would talk to me that I needed to provide for her, my husband that this was my duty, that even if I was tired or whatever, I need to be there for him. Otherwise, God would not bless me if I didn't do it. Mm -hmm. Or I was pushing my husband to start looking into other women by not being a beautiful wife. So (laughs) I was surprised. I even heard older women. I don't think this is so much in the cities, but in a traditional rural area. I heard women saying that the angels and the Holy Spirit will curse me if I did not take care of the sexual needs of my husband. And so, yeah, this is a little extreme, perhaps the curse or the anger of God, but the idea that the wife, her, one of her primary roles is nurturing her husband, but second, her children, but second, it's providing for her husband's need. It's a very, very huge area. So very interesting, Gabby, what, you, what you're saying is that For a woman, her honor is very different than for a man in honor and shame societies. It's about having sons. It's about maintaining the house. It's about maintaining her kind of outward, being obedient, looking outwardly humble, you know, having appropriate clothing and all of this. Now, when missionaries come into the picture, 
especially women missionaries, then how should a woman minister in such society when the values about what's honorable are a little bit different? What should the behavior be? Well, we should uphold everything that is honorable before God. And the one thing we should never do is to dismiss honor. Is to say, well, honor is not important. What is important is that you feel guilty when you do something wrong or define sin in terms of guilt. Not only is it relevant, but I think it's unbiblical. God is concerned about his reputation, but the court of reputation that the woman should be looking first and foremost is God. It's not only what your husband or what the neighbors think about you, but what do you think God thinks about this? And so by placing the conversation in a higher court of reputation, I think then we are better positioned to minister. And also understanding this is helpful because as a woman over the years, I was able to get things done and and broker things between women that my husband could never. You know, he was working for ADRA first. And so I would go and visit the wives. I would get all kinds of information because at home there's a lot of things going on. My husband could never access those spaces. And in the kitchen, I was brokering important things that then the wife would tell their husband and things will reflect on society and the public space. But it started in the home. So this idea that women, you know, are powerless, they are sitting at home doing nothing. It's not so. I let me just finish with one little story. In Please. Egypt, man said, the man is the head, but the woman is the neck that turns the head around. So there you go. Right. right. <laughs> uh, you asked me about clothing, and this is such a th- big thing that I would like to unpack this briefly. In 96, that's when we first moved to Azerbaijan. Now, I'm speaking about very conservative places, and I'm doing this on purpose because sometimes it helps us to see the difference very clearly. And then you can realize, well, it's not exactly like that maybe in Baku, which is a capital city, but this is kind of the background behind it. So here we arrived to Azerbaijan. I was told immediately to sit in the back of the car, which I felt pretty offended. I was just newly married. Why couldn't sit besides my husband? We couldn't hold hands in the street. That would have not, that would bring shame to him. And the one thing that was kind of a novelty for me was to discover that even the spaces are gender. What I mean is the home is the kingdom, the female kingdom. There, the woman rules and her husband is the guest. But the street is the male space. And the men control that space. So when a woman enters the male space, she is a guest into his space. And the least visible she becomes, the better. So I noted that this is why women feel very safe, by covering their body with a long robe, galabella, even covering the head. And the least attention that you raise, the more honor to her. So clothing became a very important tool for keeping this separation clear and the honor of the women protected. So here is Nadine. She's 19 years old. She's a student in Jordan. This is another country. Mm-hmm. And uh, she told me, I love my head covering because I feel safe. You know, the boys don't bother me and I can focus on my studies. What am I saying? And actually, and actually she feels honorable, right? So it's important yes. for her honor. Exactly. It's all about communicating my honorable. Yes, I'm in a male space, but I still know my female role. 
so this is very important because sometimes missionaries think, oh, you know, we can go to these countries in the name of Jesus. We're going to liberate these women. You are free to remove your headscarf and your long robe because you are free. Well, this is individualistic thinking. But we fail to understand when we do that, that we are asking women to lose their reputations. And losing your reputation, the reward for a good reputation is a good marriage. It's a good job in a respectable place, not to mention the good name in your family. So when in the name of Jesus we go and we do these things that have a very negative impact in the community, this is not good news. So personally, I don't think it's for us in the outside to meddle in clothing. But rather, we need to focus on how does it look like to live like a modest woman in your community? And in the name of Jesus, we invite you to consider doing that. Excellent. Now, Gabby, our key topic today is gender and yeah. especially the role of women in honor and shame societies. Yeah. So as we as we are progressing through this, could you talk to me a little bit about dating and how dating happens, how, what is honorable <laughs> dating in honor and shame societies? This is very relevant, especially in the West. You know, I work with refugee families and the one area that they are really struggling is the whole dating culture because it's not part of what they marriage and, and it's done. So marriage, first of all and foremost, is a family affair. It's not like two people fall in love and they explore how they will live together for the rest of their life because love is weak and, you know, it's dangerous. And what if the love brings two families that they don't match each other? So because marriage is a family affair, the families have a say so in marriage. But also dating is very dangerous. I have noted that for women who come from honor shame society, there is this association that sex is filthy, dangerous. And so dating is dangerous because it can expose a woman to lose her honor. And it can actually threaten her possibilities of getting marriage. And again, we are looking at marriage in honor shame societies more as a contract and less as a covenant. And this is especially true where polygamy is allowed. So the bonding between a woman and the males, it's actually strong, the strongest with her brother because the brother is going to stay there all her life while her husband can take another wife or divorce her. And that relationship, it's today there, but it's not so, so strong. And later will be with her son. So dating, it's a problem because it has no, no purpose since this is a family decision, not an individual decision that needs to be explored alone, away from the rest of the family. Excellent. So what happens, Gabby, as our listeners go through this conversation with us, what we're trying to say is every cross-cultural Adventist worker should try to function within the honor and shame codes as much as only possible. So if you are a woman missionary, you you try to as much as possible, follow in the ways of honor, be around women, not to try to destroy their code of honor, but try to understand it and work within it. Same for men. Does not mean that we should change internal family dynamics between husband and wives, Adventist couples that are and expatriates in, in honor and shame societies. But in our Working with people, we should try to be able to walk with them and understand what happens in their society. So what you just 
talk to me about dating Let is me add also one more important thing. for single missionaries, please. Yes, and that's exactly where I was going. So thank you, Alex, for the lead. And it's like, let's say that you have a, a young missionary overseas that she's actually dating, you know? Well, it will be very good for her to let her friends know that this is a relationship that her family approves. And that even though she might be with this person in a different way that they are, that she's very concerned about doing this in a way that honors God. So she's not going to be alone with this person. She's not going to be having inappropriate physical contact with him. So, and because as I said, women speak very openly about things that will be very ashamed, believe it or not, in the West. So for her to openly say, look, this is my fiancé, so-and-so, my, my family is very happy with him, I had met his family, and, and we are planning to get married, and we are wanting to do this in a way that honors God, that for her verbally to share those things, and especially for a guy to know that he has the responsibility to be preserving the honor of his girlfriend. So like going around showing pictures of her, it's not very honorable. I think we mentioned that in the very first podcast that we talked that even using the name of a woman in some very, very remote areas can be a problem. So the way that the man speaks of his fiance as the future mother of his children, as a person that God brought in his life to build his household, it's a way of upholding her good name in front of the community. And it will reflect in a good way for both of them. Thank you. That is very important, Gabby, and especially for missionary couples who are parents of daughters, of teenage daughters. There's so much to explore that. And unfortunately, we do not have enough time for everything Mm -hmm. in here. So let me ask you this next question. Now, when a woman marries, how does her status change in that society? What happens with a local woman when she gets married and perhaps becomes a mother? Yes, this is also very helpful because ages has to do with how the that gender role changes. And I don't mean, well, you know, from being no mother to be mother. No, no, no. I mean the, the level of honor that she's able to accrue or receive from the society changes dramatically. And so let's go from the very beginning. So you can walk through this woman from birth to death and see the, the dynamic playing out. At birth... Please do. Probably the family is disappointed because it was a female that was born and not a boy. I remember my neighbor, she had a baby girl. And the mother-in-law, that was a very kind person, actually said to him, well, at least least you're healthy. Or stuff like, well, the womb that brought a a baby girl next time will bring a boy. Sometimes there is no celebrations and almost, I mean, it's it's a pretty sad picture. So... You born being knowing that your family would have rather have a boy, but as a girl, now your mother. And this is very interesting. This whole code honor is passed from the women to the women, from grandmother to mother to daughter. It's not the men who are enforcing this uh, form of socialization. So as a little child, this girl learned how to behave appropriately as a woman. For the last four months, I had an Iraqi woman staying, living with us. She's become a dear sister to me and I have watched she has a son and a daughter the daughter's 13 the boy's 12 and 
I hear constantly she's saying to the daughter, Ayb, which means shame, shame over not serving tea or laughing too loud, or she cannot get upset. The boy is okay getting upset because it's okay for men to show emotions, but a woman, tears are the appropriate emotions. So as she's learning to behave appropriately, and then eventually she will get married. And now her status, it will change. She will gain more status because if she married into a good family with a good name, then the good owner of that family will rob on her. This is very important. And the only way she will be able to marry that respectable man is because she has respected, acted honorably, and there has been no gossip that has destroyed her reputation. Now, She's married, and within a year, she's expected to have her first child. If that first child is a boy, and she raises the boy with good manners, respecting her father, then her status changes dramatically because she starts developing an incredibly strong bond with her son. And so the, the strong bond is not, again, husband and wife, but it's mother and son. Another son starts to become her protector. And the older the son becomes, the more affection he shows and protection on her. So her status, it's much older. But the real deal here is when that woman now reaches the age of where she's not able to carry more children. So the age of menopause. And then she enters almost like an elderly. I have friends who are 55 says, oh, yeah, you know, I'm very old. And it's like, no, 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 in my, my view, very old is 90. But at that time where you have no more issues where your sexuality, it's dangerous and you need to cover and all that stuff. Now you have free access everywhere. Nobody will question why you go. And so grandmother, it's very important in the family. So here you have the president of the country who might actually ask grandma, not grandpa, but grandma, what is her opinion over issues that had to do with reforming the constitution? A grandma has the last word in family affairs. So from her kingdom, which is the home, now she can go to that male space because now she's no longer perceived as a female because she's no longer dangerous. And so it changes dramatically. And that is important for us because grandma has a lot of power to bring changes in the home. So my colleague, Gabby, my colleague, Oscar Sindo, says that in his particular culture back in Kenya, these elderly women are called the honorable men. And everything <laughs> that you are describing is ascribed but, to them. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. And these women are very powerful. Now, let's bring this into a ministry situation, because that's really what it's, this conversation is all about. Please do. That means that women who have gray hair has a great responsibility and beautiful roles before God in instilling into the family, into the DNA of the family, godly kingdom values. They can mentor, they can enter into space. So what if we were to recruit more people, more elder women for mission? Because age brings respect and they will be able to go to places. Today, I'm almost 50. I can do stuff that I could have never dreamed to do when I was 26 in Azerbaijan. Not just because I'm hopefully a little wiser. It's just because I'm starting to have white hair. And that already brings a new level of respect. 
This is fascinating, Abby. What we were able to cover right now is just touching the surface of gender right. issues and possibilities right. for men to act honorably towards men and women and for women, missionary women, to act honorably right. towards men and women in honor and shame societies. And we kind of have to conclude today. I know it's like for everyone who listens right now, it's like, what? You guys don't stop. But our time is basically up. But you know what? We have to find ways to go into more details so that we can share that you would be able to share with women all kinds of advice, how to deal, how to go about ministering to women in shame and honor societies so that we can share advice with men how to go about and what to do and how to do things. So I will be looking for opportunities. And if you don't mind, we'll be getting back, coming back to this particular. Sure, sure, Alex. Yes, yes. Because it would be good for us to explore how Jesus dealt in this context, being a single man. And also what does he have to say about honor and how to bring change, how the gospel challenges the bad areas and brings change that align them with the kingdom. So, yeah, I would be very happy for us to meet in another time and explore those areas. So thank you for this opportunity, Alex. It was very fun and I hope that was helpful. Absolutely. Gabby, thank you so much for coming on to the Institute of World Mission podcast. God bless you. Thank you, Alex. (laughs) Bye-bye. Before signing off, let me share with you three things. First, In one of the previous episodes in this series on Honor Shame, I shared with you about an upcoming course, or actually several courses, on Adventist Muslim Relations, what we call AMR, Adventist Muslim Relations. We've already designed, recorded, virtually published whole three courses. There's a lot of work that's been invested between Institute of the World Mission and the AMR department at the General Conference into these online courses for you. But we haven't made them public yet, and there is a reason, so let me explain. In these very days, we are designing a new online learning center. It will be a website that will host all missions courses from the General Conference and their partners around the globe. This is, to me, and actually to a lot of people, is an exciting development. You won't have to create yet another separate account, so that's we're trying to make sure you want. But if you have a membership account on the IWM website, that's what will suffice. You will be able to seamlessly move back and forth between the new online learning center and the IWM website. So we are building infrastructure. And in regards to the new AMR courses that I have featured before, We are working on publishing them in that new space. That's what kind of holds us off a little bit because that space is not quite yet ready. I'd like to add that we are working on moving all of our courses, all of the IWM courses into this new environment and we'll be adding all online courses from our partners into that space. This is exciting to us because we want to give you a bigger learning context and connection between Adventist Mission, Adventist Volunteer Services, Vivid Faith, IPRS, Institute of World Mission, and other partners of ours. So, the AMR courses are coming, along with more 
exciting opportunities to learn, to build competencies and skills. We'll need a little bit more time. I will keep you posted with all the news regarding this new online learning center. Well, enough for today. My name is Alex Ott, and I'm looking forward to seeing you next week.